You're listening to Making a Living Show. I'm Roby Levy. Hi, my name is Christiana Ferguson, and I make felt for a living. Christiana Ferguson is a felt maker whose clothing, accessories, and conceptual work showcase her colorful, multi-layered surface designs. Her passion for felt began in Australia, where she joined a felting guild. And to answer your next question, yes, there actually are felting guilds. She's since gone on to win felt awards, exhibit at felt shows, and be featured in felt publications. Here's my chat with Christiana Ferguson. Who are you and what do you make for a living? Uh, my name is Christiana Ferguson, and I'm a felt maker, textile artist. How did you get started doing this? Um, well, bit of a long path, I guess. Like way, way back, I think, like many textile artists, uh, I grew up in a family where a lot of the women in my family were made quilts, sewed, smocked, uh, stitched. So that was definitely part of my upbringing, uh, and I've always been kind of attracted to textiles just if I'm ever traveling or whatever I always end up buying a piece of cloth of some kind uh over the years anyway but fast forward uh when probably about 18 years ago I was in teacher's college and was doing a practicum at a Walders school in Kingston Ontario and one of the parents at the school was a woman named Andrew Graham uh who's quite a well-known felt maker in Canada. She actually lives in the States now, but I remember signing up to do a workshop that she uh, was giving and I was completely blown away by this concept of making textile from just this raw material of the wool and was kind of really taken by the process. Um, So just kind of played around with that off and on as a hobby uh, for many years. And then in 2012, my partner and I, we moved to Western Australia for a year with her three kids. And I was kind of in this really interesting position where I'd been at home with little people for about a decade. And they were all in school full time for the first time. My partner was working and I didn't have a work visa. So I really had a year to kind of do what I wanted, which was a big gift. And I joined a Felton Guild and then just as one does as one does. (laughs) And then that was that. I was like, after a year of just really diving into this process and learning from all these really interesting women uh, in this new country and community, uh, then I've just been doing it ever since. Is felting primarily done by women? Uh, No, I mean, there, there are those, I mean, it's a very ancient process. It has a long history, just not in North America. So uh, you know, there's a very long felt making tradition in like the Middle East and like carp- in the world of carpet making and things like that. Uh, and also, I think the what often people refer to is uh, in Mongolia, the nomadic uh, indigenous people in Mongolia, they make felt to insulate their yurts. And so, you know, that's a very non-gendered process as far as I know, there'll probably be more, but certainly in the contemporary felt making world and textile in general, I would say it's probably more uh, female dominated than the men are fewer and farther between. Let's just say that. So you're in Australia, you've got some time on your hands and you decide I'm going to fill it with felt. Yeah. What what made you want to keep going with this? What was the the underlying motivation? You said you have a tradition of of, of weaving and, and knitting and sewing in your family. I think part of it was I'm, I'm like one of those people that 
probably should have went to art school, but never did. And certainly once I became a mom, there was a real desire to sort of pursue my creative life. That's where I went to, to, you know, do something for myself. So I was always taking kind of art lessons and there was a group of that was formed a group of us that would go to an installation artist just north of Peterborough Lakefield where I live that sort of did these sort of creativity kind of classes not so much a, a technique or working with a particular medium but more just kind of exploring creativity so I did that for many many years just meeting with this group of people once a month and so this was always something I yearned to do wanted to do um that I was busy raising kids and doing other stuff. And uh, so I think partly I was just at that perfect time in my life where I could really grab onto something and, and go with it. And the felt making thing, it, it's still really the process never loses its appeal to me. Like <laughs> it never stops kind of blowing my mind. How uh, You can just sort of take this, you know, take something as simple as wool roving and add soap and water and really the versatility uh, that you can get with it is huge. You can make, you know, three-dimensional forms without seams. So that just opens up a whole, you know, opportunities for clothing and sculpture and all, t- all types of stuff. It just sort of seems infinite. Well, that's what's so interesting to me. I look at a, at, 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 you know, a, pi- a sheet of felt, a pile of felt. And to me, I see nothing. You know, it, it, it's not something that inspires me. I'm always interested by somebody who looks at the exact same thing as I'm looking at and sees possibility. Yeah. And I mean, I'm on your site and I, I'm seeing the myriad of different things that you're actually able to build with this and, you know, like a felt vase or wrist cuffs or, you know, looking at some, at cup holders or tea cozies. It's amazing the shapes that it can take on. And, and I mean, then you're looking at things like scarves and, and so on and so forth. So on their own as well. What made you take it from a hobby and try to go pro with this? <laughs> um... I don't know. It's just, I did have like a real sort of drive to do it. And it wasn't like a one day just deciding I'm going to, now this is who I'm going to be and what I'm going to do with my life. It was like a very slow process. Step by step, you know, I, when we returned from our year abroad, you know, I set up a little space in my house. And again, just still something I was just experimenting and really just trying to get a good handle on the technical side of it. Uh, and then I just so happened, you know, someone contacted me and said, I have this friend and she's looking to rent out a space just kind of north of Lakefield to an artist. And I really wasn't looking for a studio outside of my house, but all of a sudden there an opportunity presented itself and it was affordable. And I kind of thought, okay, maybe this is sort of the next step. And so then I started working outside of my house, which was like a huge learning for me because it was like, wow, I can be really productive when I'm not trying to do the laundry and prep for dinner and clean the floor or do whatever. Uh, you know, I just pack my lunch and go and treat it as a job. And so then, you know, it just evolved from there. Well, and that's the thing. Those types of distractions, when you're working at home, as many people are right yeah, now, uh, they're finding how difficult it actually is to work at home. Uh, some people do it really well, but when you're trying to get into a creative space or you're trying to get into something granular, it's incredibly difficult to stay in that moment, stay in that mind frame and be productive when you're interrupted by a kid, you're interrupted by a dog, you're interrupted by your partner. I say, I also think it's, for me, it was like this, it's almost like a psychological battle in terms of this is a legit 
way to spend your time. <laughs> this is a real, this is a real job. Like I'm not messing around here. This is something I really care deeply about and want to get better at and want to find my voice within this particular medium. And so it's even just a matter for me, there was this process of really even being able to say, I'm an artist. This is what I do. And that's a huge step. Absolutely. It's fighting those internal dialogue of, well, you know, this isn't what I went to school for and I never went to art school. And you know, this is, you know, maybe art isn't a legit way to spend your hours doing, you know, all those kind of psychological sort of hurdles that seem kind of silly, but are real. How did you find yourself getting over a lot of that doubt? I think just the more work I did and, you know, and just working all the time, experimenting all the time. And then suddenly, all of a sudden, there's opportunities arising and seeing how other people are perceiving my work out in the world and putting my work out in the world. And the more that I did that, the more I felt comfortable sort of claiming that identity or, or uh, definition for myself. Right. Yeah. I mean, feedback is an enormous part of any artistic or creative endeavor. You have to actually have the guts to put it out there. Yeah. It's not just to make it and then put it in a drawer. You have to put it out there. And I think that's a huge thing that's different than a lot of people who walk around and say, yeah, I'm a really creative person or I'm a really funny person. It's different from being a funny person and somebody that gets up on stage and does five, 10 or an hour of stand up. One's a pro. Yeah. It's a, it's a very vulnerable place to be actually. And, and I think especially for those of us and that, you know, this has been well documented, <laughs> but those of us out there that don't have, you know, didn't go to art school, don't have that stamp of approval or what we perceive to be that stamp of approval. I think that's something that you have to kind of get over. Yeah. That worry about imposter syndrome. Yeah. I think everybody goes through that in, in lots of walks of life, but when you're doing something artistic, those notions of good and bad, it's all so, art is so subjective. Absolutely. You know, it, it, it's hard. If someone likes it, that means the world to the artist. That means that they're not the only one. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, what you kind of learn over time is, you know, just do it, <laughs> just do the work, <laughs> do the work, do it over and over and keep putting it out there in the world. And eventually something's gonna happen. You'll find your people who like and support what you do. Ultimately, what are you hoping to achieve with felt, with your business? Is, is there an end game? I don't know. It's a, you know, I think the beauty of doing what you love and are passionate about is you don't necessarily an end game it's just this desire to continually evolve with what you're doing and to push the limits of what you're doing you know certainly I have from a financial point of view you want to make enough money to sort of make it worth your while you want to be able to sustain uh, the situation so there's always sort of that but you know I think ultimately like I would like to be recognized within this medium as like someone who's working at a very high level. Well, and I think you already have, I mean, you've been recognized with awards. You've been showcased. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and, but also I, you know, teaching is a big part of my practice as well. And, and so then it's sharing that and creating community through an artistic pursuit is also a wonderful thing. So yeah, just to continually, push the limits, try new things. I know like my next big goal is I really like to have a solo exhibition. So that's kind of like something I've been thinking lots about and trying to figure out. What would go into something like that? Like why, why hasn't that happened to date? And then what does a solo exhibition kind of mean? Well, you know, you, finding that space where 
someone's going to allow you to do that for one. So it means applying, you know, through galleries and, and having a solid idea that's sort of teased out and that you're kind of can present to somebody and have them say, yes, I want to, you know, explore that with you. I think I'm probably at that point. I know one of my challenges is writing about my work is difficult and, and doing, you know, <laughs> putting those things out there. It's, it's a hard thing. And so, and then there's always that balance between I'm really busy as it is just making what I consider to be my sort of saleable work. Uh, and it's a different kind of exercise to be making work that's maybe more around an idea as opposed to making something beautiful that someone will want to buy. You are not like some of the folks that I have spoken with, some other artisans and, and, and artists who are either firmly in the craft and utility kind of uh, category or other ones are firmly and exclusively in the high art kind of category and you really straddle those two yes <laughs> <laughs> i definitely do and it's a very strange place to be sometimes does that ever present difficulties in the way you, you go about marketing um i don't know i mean i don't really perceive it as a difficulty in marketing and in some ways it's just a for me, it seems like more of a challenge of like where you put your time and energy. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the saleable kind of craft end of things, that takes a lot of time. Um, so just production, you know, I'm spending hours and hours on production. So then it doesn't always maybe leave me the time or the inclination to be pursuing some of those other aspects. So I find myself doing a lot more like... Uh, creating sort of one-off pieces uh, for jury, like a juried exhibition or a group exhibition. And, but haven't really been able to like jump, well, to make that next jump yet to be able to, you know, do a full exhibition of my own work. So speaking of producing your work, what, what goes into producing your products? Um, it's very time consuming filmmaking, <laughs> uh, which is, a definite challenge uh, from a business point of view. It's not like I can whip off, you know, items quickly. Is it all hand done? It's everything is hand done. So if you're looking, for example, at one of my uh, scarves, for example, I'm starting with the raw material, which is wool roving. Uh, so that's wool that's, you know, been sheared off the sheep and processed to the point that it's cleaned and carded and sort of in these beautiful bats uh, and dyed. And I'm taking that and I'm actually pulling loose fiber off the ends of the bats and creating layers. And then I'm adding soap and water and I'm agitating the fiber until the fibers bind together to become textile. So if you look at an individual strand of the roving under a microscope, you'd see that there's, it's almost like close scales. And when those scales rub up against each other, they lock in. And then once they've kind of locked in, then they, you can't sort of unlock them. And then you continue to shrink and strengthen uh, the wool until it becomes like a very strong, solid textile. So each piece is done that way. And a lot of my work also incorporates silk. So if you lay a piece of silk on top of the layout of your wool, then as the felt making process is happening, the individual fibers of the wool will migrate through the silk and actually pull it into the textile and it'll fuse to the textile without any stitching or anything like that. 
So a lot of the surface design stuff that you see in my work is all layers of silk and wool. But each piece is done individually. So, you know, like a scarf, but it's going to take me pretty much a day to produce a scarf. And then something like my wrist cuffs, I can make some multiples. But, you know, that's probably sort of a day of, of that. I'm creating kind of the pre-felts for all the like surface design. So although I might be able to make a few of them in a day, by the time I hand stitch them all, each one takes like a couple hours of hand stitching. So it's time consuming. It sounds like it's incredibly difficult to scale this. Um, and yet that's part of the charm of it and part of the interest, I, I imagine, that a lot of your buyers have in these products. Yeah. They really are handmade and one of a kind. Yeah. And that's something that's important to me. Like, you know, even my like, wrist cuffs are kind of, those, those are something that actually just came about. I started making them to try and use up scraps of silk pre-felt that I've made. And then they've kind of evolved, but I just love these little, to me, they're like little abstract paintings, you know? <laughs> right. It's nice to have a flourish for your, for a, an outfit that you've probably worn a bunch of times. Here you have this, this nice accessory. Yeah. And it's, and no two of them are alike. So they're all sort of little different to me. And, and there's always that element, a little bit of surprise, even for me when I'm sort of doing the layout and it's very much like doing like collage work or something like that. Um, you know, and once I don't know exactly how all the fibers and silk are going to sort of mesh together until sort of the piece is done. And then I'm adding, you know, embellishment through stitch and playing with color. And that's, you know, that's the kind of thing I want to make. I'm not overly interested in mass, mass producing one single thing. Right. I mean, the way you're describing this sounds a lot like uh, listening to, uh, you know, a painter starting with a, with, with an, an empty canvas. Yeah. I actually thought before our conversation that felt just came pre-made. You know, my experience with felt is grade three with scissors <laughs> that didn't cut anything other than felt and paper. So, you know, to hear that you're actually binding the fibers at the beginning, I, I didn't, I had no idea that that's how it would even start. Yeah. I mean, you can buy industrially made felt. Yeah, but where's the fun? We all, we all, you know, <laughs> did that <laughs> in the seventies. We had the felt board in our classroom. Right. <laughs> See, who knew felt was so complicated? It so is. once you've got your, your products made, how are you distributing them and getting them places? How are they getting in front of people? A uh, combination of things. So I, up until this point, I've kind of been doing like a few select shows a year did the big leap this year and applied to one of a kind in Toronto for the spring show. So obviously that's that work out for you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I now actually have a lot of stock. <laughs> yeah. So trying to find, I mean, there's a lot of shows out there these days, um, but it's really trying to find shows that attract a certain type of buyer, which for me is someone who really appreciates, quote unquote, one of a kind, handmade, you're not going to find this, you know, <laughs> in wholesale to a, every store, you know, gift shop out there or something like that. Um, so it's finding those sort of, and for the people that are willing to spend money on craft, because, you know, I can't do this kind of work and charge $30 for a cuff. That's just doesn't work. So finding those buyers that are sort of willing to sort of spend that price point and really have, you know, really value uh, the handmade, owning hand, handmade items. Well, and again, it sounds like you're kind of landing somewhere between art and craft. 
in your buyer as well as your product. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So every year I, you know, I'll do a couple shows that I really enjoy doing. Although, you know, I, my family life commitments are still pretty intense. So I don't have, you know, every weekend to be doing touring around doing different shows, nor do I really have interest in that. I also participate in our local uh, open studio tour with the art gallery of Peterborough every year. And that's a wonderful thing for me. Um, you know, I'll get a lot of visitors on the course of a weekend and I get to connect with people sort of in my local area who know me and, and watch for my work and support my work. So that's been great over the years. And then I have a couple of galleries that do carry my pieces, although I, you know, I sort of have the love hate thing with, <laughs> uh, with galleries. Love, you know, love the people that own the galleries and love what they do. But as an artist, especially doing the kind of work I do, giving away the 45 to 50 percent is is difficult. Is your work in when it's in galleries, is it do you ever run into the perception that it is somehow lesser than the art on the walls, let's say? Well, I think textile, you know, we've always like that's been a long fight within the textile world. I think lately they're, you know, I think textiles become quite popular lately you know you're seeing certainly more than ever like a lot of in the art world more textile more stitching which is great but there's still this perception you know uh yeah that if it's a painting on a wall in a frame then it's worth more than a piece of fabric <laughs> so and I, yeah that you know why that is that's a whole other conversation but we got time yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a, a lot, a big part of that is, is textile is linked to women and women's work and a lot of, uh, you know, quilting, stitching, felt, you know, all those things have been seen as sort of like the household domain and not the art domain. Let me ask you, what does a typical day look like for you? I'm getting up early to kind of get my exercise in for the day. I'm seeing my kids off to school. And then uh, I'm very fortunate in that. Uh, about four years ago, I was kind of in the position where I was looking for studio space. At this point, I totally committed to this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to be serious about it. So I wanted to have a studio space that was big enough that I can do my work. A lot of it requires large layouts, so space is important. I wanted something closer to home than I had uh, so that I wasn't spending time, you know, in transit to the studio. And it's you know, something I could access easily and also big enough that I could teach um, and have people come to workshops at my actual studio. So I wasn't always having to go out to for those teaching opportunities. Uh, so we ended up uh, actually built a building uh, very close to my home. And I'm lucky because I live in a small little place and real estate is a lot cheaper where I live <laughs> than in most places in the country. And uh kind of made the scary decision to build a place that could actually also generate income for me. So uh, I'm in sort of a walkout basement studio and the main part of the building is a really beautiful two bedroom apartment uh, that I rent out. And that allows me pretty much to pay for a studio close to where I am. So that kind of got off track, but I, in the course of the day, I basically, See my kids off to school about 8.30. I walk to the studio I, with my dog and we spend the day together and I'm pretty much working solid the whole time I'm there. I usually pack a little lunch and I'll stop for maybe 20 minutes or something. 
uh, but I'm pretty much working the whole time. And then at the end of the day, you know, I'm generally home by five, making dinner, driving kids to hockey, driving kids to running practice or whatever they have going on. And that's pretty much seven days a week. And, uh, yeah. And when are you doing your classes that you're teaching? Are they happening during the day and, and at your studio or are they? Yeah. Well, the mix, I mean, I, I teach out and about as well. I had a long relationship with the Canadian Community Museum. So I usually teach a couple times a year there. Um, metaphor Contemporary Craft Gallery in Port Perry and Peterborough. Um, I teach there a couple times a year. Uh, we have a, a textile studio in Peterborough called Matter House, uh, which is an awesome spot. Does a lot of screen printing and stuff. I've taught there. I teach at different textile festivals and things in Ontario. Yeah, so generally I find I'm probably teaching a couple workshops a month, probably on average. So a combination of things in my studio and, and those are often during the week only because my weekends tend to get eaten up by family commitments and things. Um, and I find the week tends to work for people. Well, it sounds to me like you've created a really nice balance uh, in terms of your, your work, your personal life, your creative endeavors by really kind of finding a way that one thing adds to the next and ideally doesn't detract from it. Yeah. I mean, you know, that word balance, right? <laughs> I, I hate to give the impression to anyone that I've got anything figured out whatsoever, but, uh, yeah, um, it does work. It works well. I, you know, certainly figured out, I think a big learning was like figuring out, okay, I need to be out of my house. How can I make that work? Okay. Well, you know, it might be scary and a bit of an investment, but I, if I can figure out a studio that can somehow pay for itself and be a bit of an other investment in the long run, that would be great. And it has been, that's worked out amazingly. Um, and, and, you know, the reality is I'm a mom, my partner works, you know, crazy shift work hours and things like that. So I've always kind of been that sort of steady at home person. Um, so, you know, I've managed to create something where I've got flexibility, which is fantastic. And it's in the village that I love and I love being. So yeah, all those things, it does, it does work well. I think there's, there's a key component that I think a lot of folks that maybe don't spend their time creating things don't really understand, which is that the, it's not just a matter of carving out time in order to quote, be creative. You can't just say, okay, between yeah. three and five, I'm going to be creative. I'm going to make my yeah. stuff. There's, <laughs> yeah. there's a well that needs to be filled. And for me, and I think for a lot of folks, it's, it's the rest of life. It's being with family. It's yeah. streaming stuff on Netflix. It's going for a walk. It's having some fun going on vacation. And if you don't have time to do that stuff, if you're just running from one thing to the next and just spending your time on your business and just spending time pumping out product, you actually wind up running a deficit. You know, the common thing you hear from people is like everybody's time crunched or whatever. But for me, for my own personality, I think, and you hear this, you know, from many people, it's like having certain limitations is actually can be a very good thing. So in my mind, I'm kind of like, okay, I am not actually going to work. You know, I'm going to work every day between nine and four, but I'm going to work. And I'm, that is my priority. I'm going to like, you know, that's the sacred cow. <laughs> Nothing, nothing's going to come in the way of that. I'm not going to make appointments during those times. I'm not going to like make lunch dates with my friends. That's my work day. And I treat it like a job, you know, that you would punch in and punch out basically. Uh, but then 
when I'm done, I'm done. And I walk out and, and then that's when the rest of life happens. And for me, that has worked well. What advice would you give to someone who's wanting to create something similar to what you're doing? Just accept these things don't happen overnight. Um, you know, if I think about it, I've really only sort of feel like this is an actual business for the last few years, but it's probably been like 10 years of building the skills leading up to this. And so, you know, I think it's important not to beat yourself up when things don't happen quickly. I think if you really care about it and you want to make it happen, just figure out a way to make it happen and know that it's just baby steps and try to keep building on that. I think an important thing in terms of like marketing and putting yourself out there for me, it's really been, you know, you got to find your people out there and you do that by putting yourself out there, participate in a jury show or do a craft sale that maybe you've never done before. And you will find people that are attracted to your work and you talk to them face to face and you, it's a relationship. Um, You realize that you start to build with, with certain people. And for me, you know, that's been done through shows and from opening up my studio on the studio tour and from teaching is a really amazing way to, um, to find your people because they want to learn to do what you're doing. <laughs> so chances are that they are going to support you kind of down the line and they're going to stay interested in, in what you're doing. And so one thing that I did do very early on is anytime I was in a show or uh, teaching, I was always asking people for their email and building an email list. And it seems like almost, you know, an old timey thing to do these days in the world of social media. But that, you know, now I have a lot of people on my email list and those people I have direct, uh, a direct line to. So, you know, I can put out a newsletter a couple times a year saying, this is what I'm teaching. These are the shows I'm going to be at. This is what I've been making. I took a workshop and this is what I learned. Um, you have access to those people who are your people and will probably support you. I think you make a heck of a good point about email list. Uh, it, it may not seem like it's a, a sexy way to go, but, you know, any given social media platform that you may build out, you, you become reliant on it and you don't necessarily have access to those uh, people and those contacts uh, outside of that world or if that world goes away. Yeah. So an email address is right into their phones, right into their computers, uh, you know, right into their lives. And, you know, they've opted in. So it's something that they do want. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, you know, I have certain artists that I love their work. Certainly in the felt world, I've taken workshops with certain people. And it it is a relationship. I love to get their e-newsletters in my inbox. It's not something I'm like groaning, you know, <laughs> when it comes into my inbox. Um, I, you know, I want to know about their process and what they're doing in their studios and what new work they're producing. And, you know, when they create new work and it's for sale, sometimes I want to support them and I want to buy them because I like them. (laughs) Um, And I I think we can't really discount uh, the importance of that. And, you know, social media is awesome. And I do the Instagram thing and, you know, I love it. I get a total kick out of like the fact that there's people all over the world commenting and liking what I'm doing and you know that's really cool but are those people necessarily 
you know, some of those people are going to be your big supporters long-term, but lots aren't. Um, and, you know, my email list, again, I feel like those are people that are kind of going to support me long-term. So where can people find you? I'm Christiana Ferg on Instagram. And uh, my website, uh, you can find me, which is uh, christianaferguson.com. I live in a tiny little village uh, of Lakefield in the Corth Lakes, just north of Peterborough, which is a beautiful spot. And so, you know, I'm always happy to have people come by the studio or if they want to take a workshop with me, I'm always happy to get those emails. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing how you make a living. Thank you. Subscribe to Making a Living Show at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts. Follow along at Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you like what you hear, please share the show with someone you know. Making a Living Show is produced by Next Exit Media and hosted by me, Roby Levy. Thanks for listening.